The Bible, a queer reading with Jennifer Suzanne Leith. A reading of Christian scripture from Genesis to Revelation. Genesis 2. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all their multitude. On the sixth day, God finished the work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all the work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and hallowed it, because on it God rested from all the work that he had done in creation. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created. In the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, when no plant of the field was yet in the earth, and no vegetation of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain upon the earth, and there was no one to till the ground, but a stream would rise from the earth and water the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living being and the lord god planted a garden in eden in the east and there he put the man whom he had formed out of the ground the lord god made to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food the tree of life also in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil a river flows out of Eden to water the garden, and from there it divides and becomes four branches. The name of the first is Pishon. It is the one that flows around the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold, and the gold of that land is good. Bdellium and onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is Gihon. It is the one that flows around the whole land of Cush. The name of the third river is Tigris, which flows east of Assyria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to till it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you may freely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall die. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper as his partner. So out of the ground, the Lord God formed every animal of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all cattle and to the birds of the air and to every animal of the field. But for the man, there was not found a helper as his partner. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man and he slept. Then he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. This one shall be called woman, for out of man this one was taken. Therefore a man leaves his father and his mother and clings to his wife and they become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Genesis 2, The Naked Truth. 
And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Genesis 2.25. Okay, so there are a few things I should acknowledge off the bat. I'm not a Bible scholar. Without a doubt, Renita Weems, Raquel St. Clair, Letsom, Shively T.J. Smith, Kimberly D. Russell, and Love Seacrest, along with Nyasha Jr., Angela Parker, Mitzi Smith, Will Gaffney, Gabe Byron, and Valerie Bridgman are among the Bible scholars to whom we should look for close readings and interpretations of the scripture, beginning with the languages in which they were first written. I, in contrast, teach black religion with an emphasis on religious ethics, African-American studies, and women, gender, and sexuality studies. However, I am also an itinerant elder in the AME Church who has been licensed to preach for almost 24 years and has pastored for eight of those years. I've been preaching since before my trial sermon and licensing. I've served a whole lot of congregations whose members are committed to the Bible and uh, a reading of it that is as close to a literalist and fundamentalist one as possible. When I preach and teach about the Bible, I draw from the work of some of those scholars I mentioned, but I also draw on what I learned in seminary and the Board of Examiners Institute. In addition to my own personal reading, I have read the Bible through in its entirety with congregations almost three times. As a woman and a queer person, this can be a difficult process. As an aside, when I say queer, I mean a womanist. That is, a black woman who follows the principles of womanism as Alice Walker explained them, who is also queer. That is a person whose sexuality and or gender does not fall within the category of heterosexuality and or cisgender binary distinctions of male and female. With respect to sexuality, it is easiest to describe myself with the help of Walker's womanist definition as a woman who loves other women sexually. With respect to gender, there is evidence that indeed God did make more than male and female. The fact of the existence of intersex people born as such is proof enough of this. The fact of transgender people who are unsettled enough in their minds, bodies, and spirits to endure bullying, submit themselves to questionable counseling, and to undergo surgeries, the results of which are uncertain, is also proof enough of this point for me. I am a woman whose pronouns are she. However, the pronoun they also suits me as one who is the fruit and manifestation of many, including ancestors who accompany me now. I'm never alone. Spirit, as a pronoun, also feels right to me because of the way it speaks to what I am and perhaps all of us are beyond our flesh and tangible materiality. After all, these categories really uh, don't suffice at all and uh, none of us fit perfectly in these boxes. However, I should also say, the possessive formulations of the pronouns, such as hers and their, do not sit well with me as I struggle with the ways that forms of ownership and possession have driven the annihilation of countless indigenous people and their cultures, and the concepts were applied to my ancestors, making objects out of them for the sake of exploitative labor. So this is a bit of the naked truth about me. As an aside, it is also worth mentioning the pronoun play that happens in Genesis 1. Multiple times, the new revised standard version updated edition refers to God as he. 
However, in verse 26, God speaks of God's self in a plural form, referring to God's image as our image twice. Now, this is classically adopted as a primordial proof of the Trinity. However, outside of the beautifully com beautiful complexity of three in one, there's also the fact that God in this account is making at least two genders in God's image and likeness. Neither the male nor the female form is more or less God reflecting. I would argue that God as presented in Genesis 1 is ultimately the first intersex and or transgendered being. Notably, Michael Carden cites Sally Gross to remind us that even in rabbinic Judaism, there is a recognition that not everyone is born male or female. Tumtum and Ilonith are terms used to designate people of intermediate gender in rabbinic texts. Tumtum refers to a person whose sex is indeterminable because of an absence of genitalia. Ilonith refers to a woman without a womb. And there are other terms that refer to other variations of gender diversity. The naked truth about Genesis 2, as far as I see it, is this. Suddenly, first, we have a second account of creation that begins in verse 5. Here we are reading about Yahweh Elohim, where in Genesis 1 we were reading about Elohim. Sure, we can try to overlay the first and the second and make them line up with one another. However, they are two. They were written at different times, and most likely by different people. Second, in verse 7, not only does God form man first and not as part of the collective humanity together with other genders at once from the beginning, but God also puts this first man in a garden, gives instructions not to eat of one of the trees, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, begins to make companions for the man, and authorizes the man to name these companions. Third, this companion making is a quest to make sure that the man is not alone, to make sure that he has a partner or helper. When no adequate being is made, the man is put to sleep and one of his ribs becomes the beginning of women's shape. The man names the woman as such, according to the writer of this story. And she is born of his, his, she is bone of his bone, flesh of his flesh, the reason he leaves his parents' home, and one in flesh. Uh, there is no wedding, there are no vows, but somehow the created woman in Genesis 2 is not only a woman, uh, as named by the man, and not only the man's woman, but is also the man's wife, as a fourth uh, point uh, of naked truth here about Genesis 2. Then, finally, in this Genesis 2 formulation, one could almost believe that everything, and everyone, female, was created for the service of man and men. After all, man here was the first created, not the last, as in Genesis 1. Uh, every living creature created after man was created for the man's help in Genesis 2. The man and or men who wrote this, um, quote, holy men, as they were moved by the Holy Ghost, according to Henry McNeil Turner, like us may yet have been flawed, even if and when moved by the Holy Ghost. What would make theirs or my hearing, movement, interpretation, and writing of God's word more or less self-serving than the other, consciously or unconsciously, in our respective times? So, the second chapter does not sit all that comfortably with Genesis 1 or with me 
given some of the aforementioned highlights. However, for me, there is still good news in Genesis 2. What's the good news? The good news is the naked truth. First, the man and woman belong together, belong to one another, and belong in community with one another. They're not meant to be apart from one another and in enmity with one another. In fact, they are one flesh when syncretized with Genesis 1. Yes, the difference and distinction in order between the two when we know there are more than two is a feature of Genesis 2, but I suggest that this might be read not as the good news itself, but as a writer's way of getting to the good news that human beings of all genders are meant to be in loving, unified, and unifying community with one another, sexually and or non-sexually. This good news is also about the ways that individuals ha can have uniquely intimate forms of connection with one another as they lean back into a first creation as humans, not or not yet gendered. Second, in an early state of uh, created and creaturely glory, humans were without clothes, naked. They, there was a transparency about who we are physically. We could see our own and one another's parts. Attraction or arousal could not be hidden. The good news, naked truth, is about transparency. In this second beginning, people have no choice but to be real. People are together and transparent. Third, there is no shame. There is no space between what is and what should be. If there is any space between these two, no one is aware of it at this point. Importantly, though, shame is felt in subsequent chapters, and God even caters to humanity's shame in its nakedness. For God, there is no shame in nakedness. The writers of scripture never put a sense of shame for nakedness in the mind, mouth, or activity of God. So the good news is the naked truth of Genesis 2 whereby people can be variously organized and there may be more than one story that conveys how this should be or how this comes to pass. But always still people are normatively organized together in community. We can be transparent and honest about who we are, what we have, what we like, and who we love sexually. And we need not be ashamed with respect to any of this.